and welcome to AM in the Afternoon, a podcast on big ideas and little thoughts that matter. I'm Ange. And I'm Margie. And we're your hosts. Thanks for listening. In our podcast, we catch up to talk about big and small topics that we think are important and delve into the creative ways that people communicate. This episode, we're going to be talking about something we're both pretty passionate about, travel. And we'll be taking a look at how your travel style communicates with the world. Do you think you're a traveller rather than a tourist? Does that even matter? So like you said, Ange, we both like to travel and have been getting up to some travels lately, which is maybe why this podcast has been a bit patchy with (laughs) uh, episodes. And regularity in general. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, do you have any top travel hacks? What's something that you'd recommend to people that are about to pack their bags over the summer? Great question. Um... It sounds geeky, but my travel hack is to make sure you get up and out early when you're traveling or especially touristing and just try and beat the crowds and you get to see the locals in action. So, for example, like Venice is one example where I've done this. Mm. Get up and out by like 7 a.m. or even earlier if you can. Mornings, misty mornings in Venice are stunning and all the fishermen are getting their boats ready for the day and you can have coffee in the cafe with all the locals standing around the bar and there's no tourists and if you've ever been to Venice you know that it's just like tourist central in summer and just ridiculous and for even just like an hour you kind of get to see the city without the ridiculous amount of tourists and it's really special. Yeah, that's really cool because I think that's can be the case even in Rome and places other places in Italy like agreed, you yeah. know, like get up early, get out there and try to not to mention just getting to like museums when they open so that you like don't have to line up and Oh, yeah, it makes such like a that. difference. Yeah. And the light's nice for photographing at that time of day too. Yeah, actually. exactly. So what about you? Do you have a top travel hack? Um, I do try to get up early, doesn't always happen <laughs> but I think trying to get in the time zone as quickly as possible is my main thing so yes. you know sometimes that can mean you're just walking on empty you know you to catch a red eye it's overnight your time you might arrive in like I don't know Europe and it's only 9am but if you go to bed then you are just going to be setting yourself up to fail so yeah. I, I find yeah just trying to keep going Maybe having a little nap and then trying to just go to sleep at like normal time for the time zone. As on long day. as you can last, basically power through. Yeah, if you can make it to like eight p.m. even, that's still, you know, pretty good. So yeah, that would be my most recent top travel hack. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. Great. What about um, pet peeves? Do you have any travel pet peeves? Yeah, I've got a lot of pet peeves. <laughs> There's a lot, and we'll get into that later in this podcast. Yeah, but I guess just as a sort of laying the scene, I would say kind of what we're talking about today in general, this whole idea of what are you communicating about yourself and also about where you're from mm-hmm. when you're somewhere else. I wish people would keep that in mind. I find, like, you get these awful Aussies <laughs> by <laughs> anyone really who are just not really respecting the local culture. So wearing, like, tiny shorts into a mosque or even honestly – complaining super loudly about having to be being given like a robe to wear into a church or something mm-hmm. and it's like you're a tourist coming here and it's a place of worship even if you don't respect the culture yeah sure. respect the culture that's something that drives me insane when people are really loudly like chatting or like being rude at a place that's you know very important to someone mm-hmm. I had that in Istanbul in the Hagia Sophia and oh. women have to cover their hair yeah. um, and there was this busload of tourists and all the women got through the security into the mosque and 
they're whipping off their head scarves like laughing like oh how silly we had to put that on like fixing their hair and oh. I was just so furious yeah and <laughs> it's, it's just embarrassing so too, it is you yeah. know especially when there's pe- locals in those places yeah like if you don't want to wear a headscarf don't try and go in there yeah I, I think my top pet peeves for travel are pretty on the same vein um, just don't be loud and obnoxious which is kind yes. of part of it but like there's nothing worse I remember sitting on a train in Paris and there was like these American like teenagers and they were just so loud and the entire train carriage was silent and listening to them (laughs) and it was just like uh, I was just cringing like just try and blend in a little bit and just don't be loud and it's especially bad if you see if I see a Kiwi doing that when I'm traveling because I'm just like Oh, cringe. Just be quiet. Whisper. (laughs) I feel like Kiwis aren't as bad as Aussies. You get those groups of certain Aussies on holidays who I just try to avoid. Like, you meet people in a hostel and they're like, oh, you know, there's a whole other group of Aussies. You're like, yeah, no, I'm trying to avoid them. (laughs) Trying to meet locals. Yeah, well, maybe not locals, but, like, just other people even. Yeah, I I totally get that. And I feel like it's not just Aussies. Like, every country has its poor tourists. Oh, yeah, you have the... um, the Brits abroad. I about to say the Brits abroad <laughs> thing with the hens parties. Yeah, and the stag parties. Yeah. Definitely has a bit of a reputation. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, it's kind of ugly. So that's kind of the main thing that I think we're This is why we're today. talking today. It's all this whole thing about being a traveler versus a tourist, which, quite frankly, I think can be bullshit. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the same time, we're going to get into a little bit of that and look at some tips of how can you avoid being the ugly tourist? So... Here we go. Here are Ange and Margie's top tips for how to not be a jerk when, when you're traveling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or things to think about if you are traveling. Exactly. So number one, well, and these aren't in any, any specific order. I'd say definitely try to learn the language. I mean, obviously you can't be fluent and I, I only speak one language, unfortunately, but make a bit of an effort. It just, it goes a really long way. Oh, yeah, especially... I always try to learn, please, thank you, yes. and excuse me, where are the toilets? Because that <laughs> is something that you really need to know. Oh, and also it helps to say, do you speak English or do you yeah, understand English? Yeah, that helps too, yeah. Because honestly, if the answer to do you understand English is no, you want to be able to ask where the toilets are yeah. if you're in an emergency. I think one one word I would add to that when traveling Japan is shumimasen, which oh, yeah. is, excuse me, yeah. which if you're on the subway with a giant suitcase, oh. um, you need to say that. And then it's amazing. The minute you say that, the sea of people in a crowded Tokyo subway just parts for you <laughs> politely. And it's like the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Oh, man. <laughs> That's so funny because I just remember getting literally pushed onto a train by the conductor because <laughs> we had our giant like packs trying to get onto a crowded train it wasn't even peak hour and he was just like yeah like not not in english but like waving at us on like there's heaps of room what are, what you, are you talking about yeah <laughs> we were like oh my god definitely and I, I remember um as well i i i said a place name correctly to someone oh. in belize and the guy was just blown away. He yeah. was like, it meant so much to him yeah. that I'd like named these ruins correctly. And he was like so impressed and so nice to us after that. So oh. just a little thing when you're like used to dealing with tourists that just don't even make an effort. I feel like it's it's just a polite thing to do. I think so too. I probably am terrible at that, given that on this podcast, I'm pretty sure we've butchered a million oh, things. Definitely. It's not that you're, I'm saying you should master it. I'm saying you should attempt it. So I guess hand in hand with that is maybe try to learn a bit 
about where you're going. So I am going to be really frank. I'm actually pretty bad at this. I have been known to read the guidebook on the plane of the destination mm-hmm. I'm going to or f- madly flipping through the travel magazine. But, yeah, I mean, it uh, definitely helps have an open mind. But, yeah, have a basic idea. It's good, really helpful, I find. If you use, like, Lonely Planet or something, have a look at the history section. It's super I, interesting. I always love to read up. I always go deep on the history before getting to a place. I just... I don't know, I find it really interests me. You'll find that it it really informs stuff too. I found when we went to like Nicaragua and Guatemala, I just, reading that history section and it's so recent from like the 70s basically, Mm -hmm. you're like, oh, this is why people don't like Americans because, Mm -hmm. and they don't. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, they'll basically tell you like, oh, are you American? You're like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm Australian, live in Canada. And, you know, you find out, well, I guess the US did prop up this dictatorship that killed 700,000 people, (laughs) you know just 30 years ago or something so yeah I just think it 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 heightens your experience and you get so much more out of it if you just put a little bit of effort into yeah learning the culture and the history it does yeah and it just makes things easier for you a bit I think as well I also hate it when you've been somewhere and then you find out about something awesome um and it's like oh I don't know when I'm gonna get back to I think it was Berlin had like they and this is kind of a a lame thing that probably not everyone is interested in, but after being in Berlin, I, th- I think it was Berlin, I found out there's a cafe that set up like Central Perk and Friends. No, like exactly. That's hilarious. And I was so bummed to find that after I'd been there. Because if I'd known about it, I'd a hundred percent would have gone there. Yeah. <laughs> that's one example, probably not the best. But. It's a very deep example. I like it. Yeah. Um I have just had that experience. I've just come back from France and I had read some Ernest Hemingway only actually pretty recently and um, like in my life I mean as an adult Mm -hmm. and I just started reading a book that was on my Kindle and it's all like him in the Latin Quarter and I'm like oh this would have been kind of cool to read before I went in some ways so um, yeah I've sort of had that experience yeah I I also just had a book my mum mailed me but typical Canada Post it took like three months to arrive (laughs) like don't even get me started on Canada Post and how slow things are they're so much better than Australia Post Um, really? yeah Australia Post is terrible Uh, how could you be worse than Canada Post okay that's a whole other conversation Um, another podcast but my mum had mailed me a book that's set in Malta and I received it the week after I got back from Malta no way I was like it's kind of cool because I went to these places but also it would have been really cool had I had this book before going to Malta I guess another tip is that I was thinking of because we're talking about Paris is make sure that you can actually walk around the city (laughs) you're in. Don't just wear, like, don't think, oh, it's fashionable, so I need to dress up, which is true in a lot of places. Europe in particular definitely dress differently to Canadians and Mm -hmm. Australians. Australians are usually the ones in the singlet tops and flip-flops and shorts. Especially if you go to Eastern Europe. You want to make an effort or else you'll feel super ugly. Yeah, well, (laughs) even in Paris, right? Like, you do probably want to make a little bit of an effort. But at the same time, you've got to be able to walk around. So try to find, like, something, you know, some nice walking shoes for during the day, maybe something that transitions into the evening. Mm-hmm. And just be prepared that if you are just going to rock sneakers, that's fine. You do you, but you are probably going to look like a tourist. Yeah, definitely have a pair of nice-looking sneakers, yes. I think. And, like, you can walk, like, personally, when I travel, I can walk, like, 10, 20 kilometers a day. Oh, no problem so around much. a city. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than having sore feet holding up you're exploring of a new city. Yeah, no, yeah, that sucks. Yeah, and I always find, like, I like to pack one, at least one pair of heels for if you do go out, but I'll have, like, something that's 
nice but not like stilettos like mine have like a pretty low heel so that mm. you know like I can I know I have like one pair that I always pack and I know I could walk like five kilometers in them you know no problem and you might want to go back and listen to the episode about fashion <laughs> where Anne talks about her shoe addiction generally pack about seven <laughs> pairs for, for a vacation for this to make that's, more sense. that's another conversation <laughs> Okay, so I want you to um, explain this next one to me. Okay, uh, Maggie. Okay, this is what a- is the difference between a tourist and a traveler? I would say nothing. I just get so over this, especially when you travel in hostels. You meet these people, and you always meet them, right? You always, you know, we took like three or four months. We take like months off work a few years ago and went traveling around the US and Canada, and they went down to Central America. And everyone you meet is like, "Oh, I'm actually traveling for like a year or two years or <laughs> whatever," and you know, we thought we were gone for quite a while, but there's always someone traveling more than you. And there's a, always that person that is just sanctimonious and like, oh, you know, you really need like three months in this destination because otherwise you're just tourists. You need to experience the culture. And it's like, guess what? To the locals, you're a tourist. Like you might have this great idea of you being this traveler. And I am sure I've thought that before too. But Everyone's travel style is different, and one isn't better than the other. You're still contributing to the local economy. You're well, you should be, <laughs> and hopefully, you're having a good experience. Don't don't be so judgmental about other people. Yeah, that's my little rant. I feel like anyone who's spent time in hostels has encountered these people. Yeah, and I mean, I've probably been that person a little bit. Like, I've definitely turned my nose up at certain things that I think are too touristy or whatever. But yeah, I still recognize that. You know, I'm not a local. I'm basically a tourist. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I think it just comes around generally to have some awareness when you're traveling. And there's a lot of things that sort of come into this. So like like I mentioned earlier, don't talk loudly. Try to sort of learn the language and be polite and Mm. courteous and learn the customs. Um, And just try to blend in a little bit with how they dress. So, yeah, if you're in... Um, you know, like when I was in Turkey, I covered my arms and legs and was a bit more modest. Mm. And I, I personally felt like I needed to have something a bit nicer when I was traveling Eastern Europe because the women there dress mm. immaculately and they all look like supermodels. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, I, it's unbelievable, actually. Um, but yeah, just try and sort of blend in. And, and little things like I have a pet peeve, walk on the same side of the street as the cars. Yes, so definitely. If you're traveling in a country where they drive on the left, pedestrians will walk on the left If you're, and vice versa. So. Although I have noticed in the UK that gets a bit mixed up because they ask you to like stand on the right in the... Um, like on the escalator? Yeah, which mm. I find bizarre because to me you should be on the left because it's a mm-hmm. left side of the road country. Because mm-hmm. in Australia the signs say mm-hmm. like, please stand to the left. So that's one thing that's always blown my mind just a little bit. Maybe the European influence? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But Agreed. yes, I agree. That is definitely a good hack. I mean, I guess the other thing that sort of comes into what you're saying about blending in and, you know, being aware is this whole idea of haggling. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll talk, is it worth haggling? Yes. I, uh, yeah, like when you're in Thailand, you, you're haggling over 50 cents. And this could be like putting dinner on someone's table or yeah. like you see a lot of this in Southeast Asia and it's like, tourists bragging about how much they can wear down people in the market and it's like was it worth that extra 15 minutes of haggling for you to save 50 cents on your vacation like who's the who's winning here yeah yeah that's a very fair point 
don't drink too much or do an outrageous amount of drugs. Um, just have your wits about you. I mean, you don't know where you are. It's unfamiliar territory. You just never know. I, I know so many people who have been pickpocketed or mugged or, or worse when they're traveling. Um, and just keep your wits about you. You're not in your home country, so don't don't be silly. Yeah. And I mean, you know, things like being just aware of your possessions as well is pretty mm-hmm. important. But, you know, also be aware of how you're using those possessions. So selfie sticks are a pretty big thing at the moment. <laughs> okay, yes or no, would you use one? I would, but I don't have one. And I think my husband would probably die of embarrassment. Yeah, agreed. They would be practical, though. I think they're so I practical. I mean, yeah. we do take selfies and I have to rely on his long arm. Me too, yeah. And it's <laughs> like sometimes he doesn't do, you know, quite get thing and I actually don't think that bad but I think they're annoying if everyone's got them but yeah whatever yeah, sure. if you're traveling with a group get a good group shot I can see that but yeah I agree like if you're walking around with a selfie stick and or an iPad you're a target you're a tourist oh totally and so, your iPad's probably blocking all the tourists behind you from taking a photo so just don't use an iPad when you like, travel it's just hilarious when people use iPads to take photos it's like I don't know so impractical yeah And I'd also say, just to add to that, like figure out the local currency before you get there and don't sort of fumble around looking at notes and like, you know, just try to act like you know what you're doing, which I think is key for life in general. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the other things that we were just talking about, um, you know, being aware of locals and local customs is one thing. But one thing I learned the hard way just on the trip I was just on is you've also got to be aware you know, just don't be a jerk in general, I guess, (laughs) is probably a good life lesson. So I was with some other friends and we were in a cafe in Paris and, you know, we're having dinner, we had a few drinks, had some wine, had some cheese, it was all very lovely. And something about Americans came up and we all just had like little horror stories about, you know, Mm -hmm. Americans who we'd been traveling with. And it wasn't until the end of the meal that we realized that the very lovely family who were sitting right next to us were, of course... American and we're not loud and obnoxious and we're probably horrified by the things we've been saying and we <laughs> felt terrible so oh, we realized mortifying. that we were the ugly tourists in that particular situation so you know it's also important to realize that everyone is the same that you have a bit of variety don't be a jerk I'll try not to be a jerk next time <laughs> so I guess when you're talking about travel that comes up is Where can you even go these days? I mean, the world is a big place and there's lots to see, but there's also so many travel advisories, whether it's for health reasons or security risks. And I don't know about you, but I actually find it really overwhelming when we're just recently we're talking about where we should travel to. It's like there's Zika Mm -hmm. in so many countries. So women, you know, of a certain age, maybe don't want to go there. Um, If you're looking to get pregnant or if you are pregnant or... There's a chance you'll want to get... Think about getting pregnant in two years. Yeah, it's it's probably not a great idea to go there. And then there's security warnings, but sometimes it's just for the city, sometimes it's for the whole country, and sometimes it just seems to be this blanket warning. Yeah, and I know I've had that looking on like the like the Canadian or the New Zealand or the Australian government website for their like travel advisories. I feel like every single country has an advisory. Um, So it's like filtering out which ones actually matter, where is actually dangerous, and which ones is just like kind of always there and it just comes with the territory of traveling and it's not really a deal breaker. I do think, I think it was the Canadian website's quite good for that because it does actually say like, you know, high, low and and why. It doesn't just sort of say, don't go there. But even then, I think you have to... just check where you're going. This goes back to know where you're yeah. going, right? And read up on the the local news. Like, yes. we were all set to go to, well, we were thinking, not all set, but we were thinking of going to Madagascar. 
Yeah. And there was a, I think it was a bubonic plague out, outbreak. <laughs> Jesus. Like, that's a thing still. <laughs> um, so luckily, and like, yeah, luckily I, I read some news about that and I'm like, oh. Uh, pass. Yeah. That's, Hard pass. Maybe, maybe that's another time. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking also places like Honduras, right? Like I think it's got one of the highest crime rates in the world or in Central mm-hmm. America. But at the same time, it has super tourist-friendly islands that basically just travellers go to. So you've just got people going to learn to dive. And, um, you know, that's awesome. And it's beautiful and gives you access to this amazing resources and the reef. But if you were just to say, oh, but that's in Honduras, so I'm not going to go, then you'd be missing out on something. And, like, literally cruise boats dock there. It's fine. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. And I think, yeah, it just comes back to have your wits about you, do your research, and don't be an idiot. Don't walk down alleyways late at night or mm. don't go to, like, there's, I and I think Mexico, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, Mexico's too dangerous, I don't want to get be, go there. But it's, like, certain areas, sure, they're going to be bad. Or if you're walking alone or traveling through certain parts, like, at night on your own or whatever, yeah, for sure, it's bad. But gazillions of tourists go to Mexico every year and do not get murdered. Yeah, I mean, Mexico City is still probably one of my favourite cities that I've been to. And I just think I've felt more unsafe in parts of the US, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, for sure. So I think I think you should definitely read the warnings. We're not saying don't read the warnings. That would be foolish. That's part of the research. But don't only read the warnings. Yeah, have a look into it and don't rule things out, I guess. So what's your thought on travel vaccinations? Because I... I'm in two minds. I mean, I'm really, yeah. Hmm. So, have you had many travel immunizations? I did when I went to Central America because okay, that's different. Yeah, basically, I think there's some countries you actually have, have to, to have to. Oh, Brazil is South America, and you have to show. I've never been to Brazil, but I know that you have to show um, that you've gotten certain. I think there's a couple of countries in Africa have the same. Probably, thing. probably for malaria because yeah. malaria is such a widespread problem. Mm. But I, I, yeah, I got mine when I went to Central America. I think I can't remember exactly which ones. Probably hepatitis, probably typhoid. I know that they, the cholera and the travels diarrhea stuff that they give you. Mm. I don't know if that even works. I can't remember if we took that or not. But what's your? I've never had them. I think when I went to Thailand in high school, my mum maybe got us hepatitis, so I might still have it from that. But then I went to the doctor and it was going to charge me a couple of hundred dollars to find out if I needed the immunization. So I was like, oh, that's a hard pass. And then. We went to Southeast Asia, and I just remember reviewing it and looking at the cost of the immunization and just deciding to live dangerously because <laughs> I'm only hurting myself. Really. It's a money-making scheme for sure, but I don't know. I I just hate the idea of getting sick when I'm traveling. So. Yeah, I don't love it either, but yeah, I decided to live dangerously. On that yeah, one. it is interesting though. Definitely, I'm not this, saying other people should do that. Well, this is also <laughs> another thing you need to look into because when you're traveling, because just doing a bit of research for this, I mean, Saudi Arabia actually requires proof of meningococcal vaccination, which I thought was really interesting. And even if you're going um, for the Hajj, so a pilgrimage mm-hmm. for seasonal workers as well, like all these different things are required by certain countries. And if you turn up and don't have that, I mean, I don't know whether you're not allowed in or, or what happens. Yeah, you but might get rejected, so you definitely don't want that to happen. Yeah, exactly. And things like meningococcal, I mean, I would never think to go get vaccinated 
for that for a, a holiday. No, no, definitely have to check up on that. It's just like travel visas, like make sure to check for them because you never know what country you're going to need a visa for. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than getting to the border and then having you or your husband <laughs> realize that they need a visa and didn't get one. Uh, not that I've ever had that problem. It doesn't sound like it. <laughs> or not that I've ever had this problem. But some <laughs> countries require you also to show that you're leaving. So, mm. you know... If you happen to try to be a bit more loosey-goosey and be like, oh, we're just going to spend six weeks in Central America. Who knows where we'll go? Yeah, some countries don't like hearing that. They want to know that you're going to leave. So you need at least a flight or a bus ticket somewhere booked. Even Canada's like that. I think you need, when I got my visa, I don't know that was to move here. Maybe that was different. But I needed proof of onward travel and, like, proof of money in my bank account. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I've been to other places where I've had to do that too. Yeah. Yeah, well, let's just say trying to get Wi-Fi in a small airport in, say, Nicaragua to show that you're leaving the country, not much fun. So <laughs> It's character building, makes a good travel story. Exactly. <laughs> what great story ever started with? Everything was going to plan. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about it. We've talked about it with you communicating when you're a traveler, but what about the impact on the destinations? Mm. on on actual travel and the sheer volume of tourists. Yeah, I mean, I think you already sort of mentioned Venice, right? So that's Mm -hmm. a place that's definitely been overrun, I guess, in Mm -hmm. some ways by tourists. I feel like a lot of Italy is overrun by tourists. Yeah, yeah. In summer, especially. And I don't know the impact on that, but I do know that one thing I have noticed personally, and it has a lot to do with direct flights, is Iceland. Everybody's going to Iceland. Everyone has amazing Instagram photos of Iceland. It's Everyone... top on my travel list. For oh, sure. I want to go to Iceland. I mean, <laughs> I am by no means immune to this, but I have just noticed that I feel like every time I'm talking to a friend that's particularly you know, into travel, they're going to Iceland, and it's, it's kind of the new hotspot. So I was really interested to see, like, I mean, a few years ago, I'd never even really heard of Iceland. You know, I'd say, like, what, five years ago? Did anyone ever travel there? It didn't seem like a big destination. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty interesting. Basically, tourists are outnumbering the locals. Wow. Yeah. So I think Iceland is, you know, it's an island. It's very famous for its fire and ice. It's sort of volcanoes and hot springs and lava fields. But it's only home to, like, 300,000 people. 347,000 is what I've got here. But they get like 2.3 million tourists, which is like 6,000 to 7,000 people per day. And that's in 2018, and that's an increase from 2016. It was only 1.8 million visitors back then. Wow. Yeah, and more than triple the number from 2010. So that's going to have a major impact on infrastructure, like environment, ecosystems. Like, it's massive. Yeah, but even just, you think, maybe culture and daily life. Yeah. I can't imagine going from having... You know, three hundred thousand people in a in a country, and it being millions, millions of tourists. So basically, there's going to be. I think what I read it in Bloomberg was seven to one is the ratio of tourists to locals. I mean, that's not a balance. That's getting pretty extreme. Yeah, and I imagine there's like um, it must be worse in sort of the tourist centres or like um, you know the main cities and then small town like th- that wouldn't necessarily be a balanced seven to one as well like some areas might totally. be 20 to one if we can say the name Reyk- Reykjavik Reykjavik I, think, I believe <laughs> we may have butchered that but yeah that's kind of the hub and there's a lot of stuff that you can see around there and you know I've done a little bit of research because I kind of want to go there too mm-hmm. I am one of these people but like you said there's a lot of impacts 
Yeah, and I've heard similar things um, about Amsterdam, and there's been certainly a lot of discussion. And I'd read somewhere that they're um, looking at sort of city of Amsterdam, like the, I guess the municipality is. They've been trying to re structure where tourists go in the city and really looking at that kind of downtown core because prices are getting so high that residents can't really afford to live there and then there's like all the services that come with that and it just impacts the whole kind of how the city works yeah um, and that's like that's one example but I feel like there's a lot of tourist hotspots which um, you know the go- like local governments are dealing with the same issues oh I mean the whole Airbnb thing mm-hmm. has definitely come up even in Vancouver you know they wanted to cracked down with taxes and all sorts of things and there's this big thing about well short-term accommodation versus rentals in a city that's pretty expensive already and on the other side of it you think well if you own your own apartment can't you do what you want with it so it's for sure a complex issue but it makes you think about what is the impact of traveling to these wonderful destinations yeah I mean certainly there's an environmental impact yeah like I think this was Iceland as well it's People pitching tents in, you know, environmentally vulnerable landscapes, pooping everywhere. Um, <laughs> I've heard there's parts of Indonesia that are really bad for this as well. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I imagine that would get a lot of tourists too. So on Iceland, one thing that I thought is funny but awful is <laughs> an example that from last summer, from 2017, when somebody, you know, thought, haha, this is going to be a great joke, and they put the word send nudes on this mossy hillside by picking out the landscape. Would have been hilarious if it had only, you know, lasted a week. But it actually is going to take 70 years for this moss to grow back. And That makes me really sad. It does. And I mean, you know, someone's just trying to be funny, but that has a real impact. And that's just one example, but I'm sure there's many, many more. Let alone, I just notice when I'm traveling, I hate it. I always end up using plastic bags, even though, you know, in my daily life, I try to always use my reusable shopping bags. But you just you're not organized like that when you travel. So, yeah. And I mean, even you look at this in holiday towns in terms of like plumbing and sewerage. There's all those kind of infrastructure issues that come into it, let alone that that all impacts the environment. Well, and litter. Like, I mean, it is definitely true that some cultures aren't maybe as aware as Mm -hmm. keeping the environment clean, but if you're traveling to a place and you're making it worse, then that's really serious. I hate not being able to recycle when I travel. Oh, I know. I know Canada's so good with that. Yeah, and like public recycling bins and things like that. And then like, I remember carrying a can around in New York City for like a whole day because I didn't want to put it in the garbage, but yeah. I couldn't find recycling anywhere. US cities are really hard for that though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the other problem is, I mean, I've seen this in Canada too, but people that are just unprepared as well. Mm. So it goes back to the research we talked about, but if we could look at Iceland as our little case study here, basically they've got these fantastic hikes and some amazing landscapes, which, yeah, make awesome Instagram posts. But people are literally dying because they're falling off the edges of cliffs or they're not expecting this extreme weather. Like, it's Iceland, people. Like, if you go hiking for two days, you're probably going to want some warm clothes. Yeah, doing a one- or two-hour weekend hike in a completely different climate and landscape's not really preparing you. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, you know... Just people not really being prepared for the weather or for the terrain, which definitely happens in BC too. Yeah, you hear very unfortunately frequently um, about, you know, tourists that come and did a hike and then obviously got lost or the weather turned and, you know, the, some people like don't get found again. And it's really common um, in New Zealand, you hear of 
often like every summer it seems there's a story of like a tourist family that goes swimming but you know it's a surf beach there are strong currents and they don't know how to look out for rips and then yeah they just don't understand how to swim in the conditions they've never swimmed swim in like at like a surf beach before Mm. and they drown and it's it's, yeah you've got to really sort of understand and respect the nature yeah and in Australia that happens all the time too but it always just makes me upset especially when it's really popular beaches in Australia so the ones near cities Mm. have lifeguards and flags but the thing is people swim outside the flags because they think oh you know that's really busy that area but the reason that that area is flagged is because that's like the safe zone if you don't know how to spot a rip you don't yeah, know the conditions. Don't do what the locals do. Yeah, so it's yeah, that's definitely a really big issue in I think a lot of countries with natural environments. Yeah, absolutely. But then yeah, kind of talking what we were talking about before this whole idea of this <laughs> whole idea of economic and infrastructure. I think that's a pretty big one because there's this whole idea that you know tourism brings in dollars and that's really important for local economies but it does also mean that you have to plan for it you have to have infrastructure mm-hmm. you have to look at the whole airbnb issue for instance short-term accommodations mm-hmm. are there enough hotels are there enough hostels where are people going to stay is it safe yeah exactly and definitely iceland again i mean that's been a huge issue anyone that you speak to that's traveling to iceland will tell you that it's expensive to, and that you have to get organized really far ahead of time and then it's just hard to find places and I was looking at this BBC article and it was super interesting it was saying that about five years ago or maybe a little bit more Iceland was actually on the verge of a recession they were worried about Reykjavik becoming a ghost town but now because of tourism and it's been the local tourism body it's been direct flights it's been a lot of promotion it's obviously been very successful but (laughs) they're not prepared they don't have all the infrastructure so it's definitely an issue there's a lack of infrastructure to cope with the rising numbers yeah absolutely it's just forward planning but sometimes you don't know it until it's upon you know like the floodgates open whether Mm. an airline changes its flight schedule or um like i went to myanmar just when it was sort of opening itself up to tourists i didn't even know this This all of a sudden there's atms everywhere but yeah, like there's certain infrastructures there and some parts aren't and restaurants just don't quite get the kind of expectations yeah. for like Western service, which is fine. You expect that when you're sort of traveling in Southeast Asia. But it was really interesting to see a country that had been completely closed off trying to scramble to catch up yeah. to these things. And people are wanting to capitalize on these tourists, but they also don't really have a model for that. And there's no, you know, like initially, um, like we had friends that had moved there and initially like it was really hard to get a taxi and then okay then there were more taxis but then uh you know the prices were like tripling quadrupling <laughs> like it prices getting higher and higher as the locals got go. down to like how much people can pay it's just getting higher and higher by the day oh that's so, so really interesting. interesting when was that i was there in 2012 oh cool 15 maybe yeah yeah that's it was yeah it was a it was at the time a bit of a mission to get the visa to go there like we had to go to Bangkok and apply and it took a a day or two and it was quite involved it was quite yeah and yeah little things like you get to the airport like you can't get money outside of Myanmar 
and you have to get rid of your money, but then you get to duty free, but they don't accept credit cards, but you had to get rid of all your money before Ugh. leaving the country. And just little like logistical things that they hadn't quite ironed out yet because yeah. they just hadn't had enough tourists through. Uh, hopefully they've smoothed that out now. I feel like I've heard about more people going to Myanmar now too. Yeah, definitely. We were there just certainly like kind of at the beginning, but it was also really cool to see a country that was pretty untouched by tourism compared to like Thailand or Vietnam. Yeah. Like it was, it was one of the best places I've ever traveled to. I absolutely loved it. And you know what? I feel like that's exactly an example of that whole travel advisory thing that we just said. Exactly. Yes. Like if you, you know, read the warning, maybe you wouldn't have gone. Exactly. Like, no, sorry. Retreat. If you'd read the warning and taken it to heart. I yes. Guess. Yeah, absolutely. You could have been very easily scared off going there and it was one of the best places I've ever been. So. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So I guess that brings us to the close of our our list. I hope it wasn't too rambling for you this week, but we have a lot of ideas and I hope that you've got a few things to take with you next time you're planning a trip. Um, and I guess we'll be closing out with our regular section of Read, Watch, Listen and our travel-related picks for this week. And it's quite a long list because turns out there's a lot of books and movies and podcasts and things about travel. And I think it might also be related to the fact that the two of us are very enthusiastic about traveling and yes. read a lot of stuff that and, and I mean there's travel and then there's books that are set in exotic locations that you want to travel to so I feel like the list is quite uh, it's, it might not strictly be travel stories. Yeah I think the one that I want to kick off with was you know obviously recently Anthony Bourdain um, mm. passed away and I was actually gutted when oh, I heard that. I think everyone was. It was I, really upsetting. I feel like I only discovered him like a year ago or two ago. I was really late to the party, yeah. you know? And I just feel like every time I've travelled, I do look at his, you know, whether it's the layover or... Mm. Um, oh God, Is it Destination Unknown? Unknown, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love those shows and I love that it's just kind of him being grumpy and like... But he, I think he places. had the best attitude and he was a great example of like that self-awareness when you travel and getting to know the locals and appreciate it and don't spend all your time doing the cliche touristy things you know go sit in a cafe and feel the culture and I feel like he had the right Mm -hmm. idea when it came to that so anything Anthony Bourdain we recommend highly recommend and you know what there's lots of his shows are on Netflix so check it out yep definitely um fun thing uh talking about not really huge content, but make sure you're following on Instagram passenger shaming. Oh, yeah. It's glorious. It's all, it's just tourists doing terrible shit. <laughs> so people taking off their their shoes on the plane and, like, putting their toes into, like, the people's space in oh, front of them. Oh, I hate um, people on planes. Oh, man, we can make that pet peeve section so much longer. <laughs> a woman drying underwear, like, in the overhead thing on a plane, like, trying Why to dry a pair underwear of... Wet? I don't know. That's a great question. <laughs> it's, like, just... It has all these fascinating, disgusting things that humans just do, and it's taking photos of them doing it to shame them. And it's hilarious and great, and I oh. recommend it. I don't know if I could... I think I would be just too annoyed scrolling through that. <laughs> it's it's just so relatable. Yeah. Like, not that I would do those things, but I would be so furious if I saw someone doing that. I would have to share it. Um, I just came back from France, and I already mentioned Ernest Hemingway. So, A Movable Feast, The Sun Also Rises. Basically, any sort of book about Hemingway wandering around Paris, eating and drinking... It's going to give you a pretty good feel for Paris, really. Yeah, Maybe absolutely. in the 1920s or 30s or 40s, whenever he was there. But it's very romanticised and very. certainly gets you wanting to go there. And in that vein, Mrs. Hemingway by Naomi oh, Wood, yes, which is a book, book about 
all of Hemingway's wives. Um, but it, it's fiction, but it's very much based in research and, again, gives you a really great d- idea of, like, when he's living in the States, when he's living in France, um, and when he's living in Cuba. So really cool. Oh, yeah. That book I actually is the one that inspired me to read Hemingway. I'd never read him until I read the book. Um, actually, on that same train of Paris and romanticising things, uh, Midnight in Paris. Um, Woody the movie. Art. Yeah, the, yeah, the film. That same idea. What I like about that film is not just that it's quite a sweet movie with Owen Wilson and being a bumbling version of Woody Allen, essentially, but is the fact that it kind of touches on this whole idea of the fact that we do romanticise destinations based on the past mm. and, you know, things that you've read or watched or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of this cool idea that that's not the only way to experience a place, but it can certainly take you places to learn about the past and people that have been influenced by it. Absolutely. Um, one travel, this is actually a travel story. Um, she's written two books. Her name's Lo- Lois Price and she's British. And she did, I don't remember which one came first, but she did two books, which, so Lois Price is like a five foot nothing, <laughs> uh, redheaded British woman who on her own rode a motorbike from, I think her first book, Lois on the Loose, is Alaska to South America. Huh? So right through. Um, I think she might have had a friend for part of that journey. But anyway, it's a massive undertaking for any motorcyclist to take. Yeah. Um, and then her other book is Red Tape and White Knuckles. And she goes from London to Cape Town oh, wow. on her own. Like the, she gets into some sketchy situations really great reading and she's really kind of witty and um, fantastic read I recommend both those books oh awesome that sounds really good um, I guess another one that I really love um, you know I'm quite into hiking and camping Wild both the book and the movie actually by Cheryl Strait mm-hmm. it's one of those books and movies that you kind of hear the synopsis and you're like eh don't know about that you know woman goes hiking finds herself but it's so much more than that. I and agree. She just has such a powerful way of telling her story. And actually what she did was extremely impressive. The Pacific North um, Trail in the 90s before there was before it was really popular, but also before... Cell phones. Uh, cell phones before. And did it basically with no training. Probably, you know, made some foolish decisions. But honestly, she just really captures this idea of being on your own and empowerment and... Um, what you can really achieve, you know, and what I think... What you're capable of. Yeah, exactly, through physical stuff, but also what you learn through travel. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I really enjoyed those books too. And I think it's a little funny, her name is Strayed, Cheryl Strayed. She changed it. Oh, is that? I was yeah. wondering if that was like a like a what do you call it? A writer's alias or something? Yeah, yeah. No, that was her whole thing. Um, so it goes into it a bit in the book, but she has she changes her name because of she didn't have a very good like father figure, right? And um, she wants to change her name, and she feels very lost, so she calls herself Cheryl Strayed. Oh, is that? I don't remember that from the book. Yeah. Ah, there you go. When I read something, it goes like immediately forgotten so much. Um, in terms of watching things, this is older now. I think it's from like the early 2000s. Um, but The Long Way Down or The Long Way Round are like TV series oh, yes. um, with Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. So they ride their BMW motorbikes. Long Way Down is Scotland to Cape Town. So same sort of 
tracks is Lois on the Loose. I, I guess I love a good ro- motorcycle but adventure I'm here, I'm story. Here theme here. Yeah, this is just books that I really enjoyed, and they're traveling long distances on a motorbike. Um, and Long Way Round, which is London to New York via Eurasia. So, like, As you going like gnarly back roads of like Russia with no roads, just skidding out. Um, really cool adventure. And like, you're like, those two are like, I think they're kind of friends that go way back so there's a like good banter and they're they're really great hosts make it kind of funny and entertaining as well yeah that's a good one for sure some other ones to watch for i guess getting that real feel of travel um or get you in the mood um the darjeeling limited um wes anderson film i just love yeah that i love the imagery in that and makes you really want to go to india um, another one i really enjoyed was burmese days by george orwell it really gives you that kind of look at what it was like for in like colonial times in Burma, now Myanmar, but interesting insight into the culture. You know, you've got a few other ones here. Um, you've mentioned The Alchemist by, I never said his name right, but Paulo Coelho. Coelho. I can't remember if it was The Alchemist that I read or a different one about the Camino Trail of Santiago de Camino that he wrote. Yeah, I didn't like that one as much. Yeah, I haven't read The Alchemist, uh, but I've read a couple of books recently about that trail, and um, including one you've just given me. Right. And it's definitely interesting because it this whole idea again I guess kind of like Cheryl Strait in Wild having these kind of almost spiritual experiences Mm -hmm. and Camino de Santiago is basically a pilgrimage for Christians but a lot of people now do it and some of them do it for spiritual reasons some of them don't so there's quite a few books out there that are about that but I think the rest of them might be yours on the list yeah I think the only one that we haven't mentioned is Shantaram which is not really a travel book, but an Aussie guy, Aussie convict escapes to India. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk around how much of this story is fa- uh, fabricated, but it sure makes a great read and it sure gives you insight into Indian life and culture um, from, you know, a, an Australian perspective. And I just, I was captivated by that book. Like, it's like 800 pages and I just could not put it down. I was about to say, I still haven't read it. It just is intimidating it's a big book it is but you'll just plan yeah I I actually read it while I was traveling but I couldn't could not put it down yeah awesome yeah so I think that's a pretty long list for us today but I think that about wraps us up just about yeah thanks (laughs) 